Welcome, and thank you for listening to the West Hills Podcast. West Hills Church is a balanced, engaged, authentic, disciple-making church that serves the St. Louis, Missouri area with Sunday services at 9 and 1045 a.m. For more information on our church, go to westhillsstl.org. Now, here's the sermon from Sunday. come to an end now, or at least part one of, of two concluding sermons in uh, our study together through the book of Acts over the course of this year, and I pray that it has been even a, a fraction of as much of a blessing to you as it has been, I know, to me these past eight months now, but uh, that means I'm also excited that I get to announce to you this morning the next book that we're going to be walking through together, God willing, the rest of this fall here soon, that's the book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes is probably my favorite book in the whole Bible. Uh, You are not going to want to miss this series, and uh, you're not going to want to miss the opportunity to invite others to join us for it as well. And so to that end, I've got three challenges for you uh, over the next two weeks um, as we begin to kick off this series just after Labor Day. Three I's to make it easy to remember. Immerse, invest, invite. So immerse yourself. I want to ask you to read through the book of Ecclesiastes all the way through before September 11th when we start this series. That will give you a good orientation to the whole book. It's short, it's just 12 chapters. You can do it in, in 20 minutes. Um, but it'll give you, as I said, a good, a good overview as we go work through this fall. And then I want to ask you to reread back through each individual chapter the week before we study it. And so you need to make sure you're signed up for the uh, church newsletter, weekly newsletter, so you can make sure you're getting the the exact weekly uh, reading assignments to study beforehand. And uh, I think we're we're all sold out, this is what you get for sleeping in, of the uh, Ecclesiastes uh, uh, study guides, or what do we call those, scripture journals, ESV scripture journals. Um, And so we'll order some more. And uh, come back next week on Labor Day, and you can grab that so you're ready to go for September uh, 11th as we begin Ecclesiastes. Second is invest. Invest yourself in the study. So commit to being here, you know, 12 out of 12 Sundays this fall, or um, 10 out of 12 if you know you're going to be traveling some. But then commit to going back and listening to the sermons that you missed and invest so you you don't miss anything and, and you're fully immersed. And finally, invite. Uh, invite others. The theme of Ecclesiastes is how, just how meaningless life is without God. And so if you know someone who does not yet know the Lord, I, I encourage you, I urge you to invite them to join us this fall. Uh, and this is such a great opportunity to put our call that we've heard all the way through the book of Acts to be Christ's witnesses, to put that into practice. So immerse, invest, and then invite But this morning, I want to begin our time in Acts by quickly taking a look back and doing a very quick sort of flyover Acts in review to, to, as we wrap up our series, begin the wrap up next week. We begin, you remember back in January, chapter 1, with the resurrected Jesus appearing one last time to his disciples before he ascended back into heaven to give them this great commission I keep referencing to be 
my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That has served as our theme verse all throughout our study. Acts traces the expansion, explosion of the church from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and ultimately our continued mission calling to complete this as of yet unfinished business of taking the gospel all the way to the ends of the earth. The rest of chapter 1 was preparation for that movement. In chapter 2, we witnessed the birth of the church at Pentecost as the Holy Spirit descended and empowered the disciples turned apostles for the task. We heard model sermon from Peter. We observed model church in action. In chapter 2, we learned how to be model disciples from Peter and John in chapter 3. They also taught us about boldness in the face of opposition in chapter 4. We were warned against the deadliest sin in the church by Ananias and Sapphira, and we explored how the gospel changes everything in chapter 5. We addressed some of the church's early growing pains in chapter 6. We celebrated God's redemptive power to turn evil for good in Stephen's life, the church's first martyr. We strategized about how to reach a backsliding, comfort-driven society like ours, Samaria. Chapter 8, learn from the example of Philip, a model evangelist. On Easter, we celebrated the hope of resurrection, being raised from death to life through the story of Saul's conversion on the Damascus Road. And then immediately, his trial by fire, his preparation for ministry. He gets saved to serve. With the conversion of the first Gentile believers in chapter 10, we considered what it means to evangelize the nations, those we tend to think of as outsiders. In chapter 11, we explored the marks of a missional church. And in chapter 12, we question why God lets bad things happen to good people, why God lets good things happen to bad people, why God lets anything happen for his glory. In chapters 13 and 14, with Paul's first missionary journey, we highlighted the value of perseverance. We'll talk more about that this morning at the end. In chapter 15, at the Jerusalem Council, we analyzed various articulations of the gospel and declared our salvation by grace through faith for works. On Paul's second missionary journey, we extolled God's ability to turn obstacles into opportunities. We learned how to preach to a pagan culture like ours from Paul's example in the Areopagus and how to be all things to all people through his example in the city of Corinth. On Paul's third missionary journey, we praise God's power to reach those far from him through supernatural word-based ministry, missions. We counted the cost of truly following Jesus Promises to cause no little disturbance in our lives, to turn them upside down in the best way imaginable. And the importance of ending well, the good goodbye. And here in the home stretch, as Paul has set his face on Jerusalem, we have discussed maintaining the faith under fire and God's purpose in allowing us to undergo hardship, how God delivers us for the sake of his own glory. And all of that brings us to this morning in chapters 25 through 27 and the beginning of the end of the beginning. Did you catch that? This is the beginning of the end of the beginning. 
This morning we're beginning the ending two sermons of the book of Acts. But the end of Acts is only the beginning of the story, God's story about God's people heeding God's mission to take God's gospel to all corners of God's world. This is God's story. It's our story still today. It's our continued mission. And next week, as I said, Pastor Thad will bring it home for us by covering not just the end of chapter 27 and all of chapter 28, but Acts 29 as well. And if you are flipping to the end of the book of Acts right now in your Bibles and you can't find chapter 29, you're confused. That's because you and I are living it right now. This is Acts chapter 29. We have been entrusted with the joy, the responsibility of helping to write the final chapter of God's redemptive story of taking the good news to every nation, tribe, and tongue. So I would be remiss if I didn't exhort us one last time in my last message in Acts not to be hearers of the word only, but to be doers of the world. God has exhorted us to go. He has empowered us with his spirit. He has equipped us with his word. He's encouraged us with his church. All that's left is for us to do it. So let's do it together. Let's commit as a church to being a kind of church who will be found faithful, who will one day hear our Savior say to us, well done, my good and faithful servants, because we invested the gospel that has been entrusted in us into the lives of others around us as well. Amen? May we be that church who is with me, who's ready, who's ready to suffer. Ready to be hated. Jesus said, don't be surprised when the world hates you, because they hated me too. Did you know that evangelical Christianity is the only major religion in our country today that is less popular today than we were 10 years ago? Jews, Catholics, Mormons, atheists, Muslims, everyone else polls more favorably today than they did a decade ago. Americans are becoming more and more accepting of more and more religions. We love religion, everything except evangelical Christianity. But Jesus didn't say, be my witnesses, so long as it's popular. He said, be my witnesses. He also said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Well, that means the Apostle Paul must be the richest guy inside the pearly gates, because as we're going to see again this morning, no one got reviled and persecuted like that brother. And yet, Paul would write at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul's example shows us that the race that we have been called to run as believers in Jesus isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. This is why Hebrews 12.1 exhorts us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Anyone in here ever run a marathon? No one. There are all those folks that wake up early for the first service. This explains so much about y'all second service people. It really does. All right, well, I can just skip that section of the sermon. No, I actually poked fun at him. I said, you know, a few of y'all crazy, troubled masochists uh, 
And then I asked them, you know, my, my five marathon runners in first service, was there suffering involved? Now, it's, not a, it's not a question of, is it going to hurt if you run a marathon? It's when it hurts, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? Will you endure? Will you push past the pain? And it's the same question for Paul this morning. We're going to see Paul endure four different forms of hardship here, and we're going to consider what we might learn today from his example in each. Paul endured more for the sake of Christ than perhaps anyone in history. And not coincidentally, Paul was the most effective evangelist of all time. So the question for us this morning is, church, will we faithfully endure for the sake of effective evangelism today? Will we faithfully endure for the sake of effective evangelism? May it be so. First, let's pray. Our Father, as we open your word now and humble ourselves under its authority in our lives, I pray, would you, Holy Spirit, come be amongst your people? Would you move in the hearts of your people this morning? Just as you inspired these words to be written 2,000 years ago, would you now inspire, speak, open the hearts of your people to hear the gospel, the word that you have for us this morning? Father, I pray that especially for any here this morning who might not yet know you. If there is anyone this morning who has not yet turned from darkness to light. From Satan, the power of Satan to God, as we'll hear in Paul's testimony, death to life. Would you do the supernatural work that only you can do this morning, freeing them of chains of spiritual oppression, bondage, enslavement to sin, and its rightful punishment, death? Would you set free captives this morning by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit, would you adopt new sons and daughters even this morning as we open your word. We pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. All right. Acts began with Christ's call to be his witnesses. It ends with the repercussions of actually answering that call. If we Obey. If we are on fire for sharing Jesus with others, what can we expect? Number one, we can expect to endure weariness. We're going to pick up where we left off in chapter 25, but let's not forget the context, how long poor Paul's trial has dragged on now by this point. Paul addressed the crowd in Jerusalem in chapter 22. Uh, the Jewish council in chapter 23, he testified before the Roman governor Felix in Caesarea in chapter 24, and now uh, last week the new Felix named Festus in chapter 25. Now this morning he's going to testify again, this time before King Agrippa II. Agrippa II was the grandson of Herod the Great who tried to kill the baby Jesus. Uh, he was the son of Herod Agrippa I who killed the apostle James back in chapter 12. And Festus is going to ask Agrippa here for help because last Sunday Paul appealed his case to Caesar, you remember. The problem is Festus doesn't even have charges with which to send Paul to Rome to 
to stand trial before Caesar because Paul is innocent. There's no, no charges, legitimate ones that can be brought. And so Festus asked Agrippa, what do I do? And we're going to see his answer. Um, by the way, as we open, normally I have scripture on the screen for you so you can read along. I was uh, hustling to get back from Michigan officiating Simon and Abby's wedding yesterday, ran out of time to make my scripture slides. You know, I figured the passage is like 67 verses long anyway. Uh, you really should bring your Bibles to church with you. So I'm just going to kind of punish those of you who don't this morning, or uh, hopefully you have the app on your phone. We have extra Bibles at the info bar. We'd love to give you one of those if you don't have a Bible. Um, so no one is, is without excuse. Share with the neighbor if you need. But hear the word of the Lord. Chapter 25, verse 13. <clears throat> Now when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice, she was his sister, she also lived with him. There were rumors that they were lovers in an incestuous relationship. Hold on to that, we'll come back to that. They arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus, verse 14. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There was a man left prisoner by Felix, my predecessor. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in this case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Don't you love this? This, this pagan Roman governor accidentally sharing the gospel. Being at a loss, verse 20, how to investigate these questions, I asked whether Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man for myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. Verse 23. So, on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him to you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Chapter 26, so Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Now, I want you to try and put yourself in Paul's shoes here. What do you think Paul is thinking at this point? I can tell you what I would be thinking. What I, I imagine most of us would be thinking in his shoes, why? Why, King Agrippa? Why should I bother speaking for myself? What's the point? I have testified four different times now 
And every one of you keeps passing the buck off to someone else, refusing to adjudicate my case because it's not politically expedient for you. For two years now, I've been rotting in prison. And I have to believe that Paul is just getting tired of this. He's growing weary. How about you? As we apply this to our own lives, do you grow weary of witnessing seemingly to no avail how many of you started off the year with us excited to walk through the book of Acts going to go and be as witnesses we're going to become this missional church now honestly maybe you're, you're kind of over it being feeling like you're being exhorted every single week go do it go make disciples it's sort of the same message it gets tiring actually doing it actually being his witnesses Living on mission gets tiring. Maybe you started off excited about our monthly days of prayer and fasting, witnessing to your lost loved ones who don't yet have a saving relationship with Jesus. And as the year has dragged on and you haven't seen any fruit of those prayers yet, you're tempted to just give up. You know, the 18th of July rolls around, the 18th of August, 18th of September is around the corner. Am I just fasting? Am I just going hungry for nothing? What's the point? shared the gospel with your son or your daughter, with your brother, sister, your father, your mother, some of you, your cousins, aunts, uncles, co-workers, neighbors, dozens of times to no avail. You've invited them to church a dozen times to no avail. Why bother? Why bother inviting again? Why bother witnessing again? Why? Because God's word, God's word tells us to. God's word encourages us to press on and endure. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Here's the promise. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. We will reap. When we're tempted to give up, Hebrews 12.3, we consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus endured and serves as our example. I saw a mixed martial artist once who had big letters in the back of his shorts said, Jesus didn't tap. I don't know if you're into fighting Tapping out is when you're being strangled to death. And before you lose consciousness, you stop the fight. Jesus didn't tap. Didn't tap out on the cross. When our sin and our guilt and our shame had Jesus in a chokehold, he endured all the way to death for our sake. But then he defeated death and he came back was raised to life and he's now raised us to new life with him as well. And so I ask you, brothers and sisters, if Jesus can conquer your sin, if he can forgive your past, if Jesus can save your soul, who can't he save? How can we not endure? How can we not remain faithful in our witness to others? How can we not keep praying, keep witnessing, keep reaching out? If he can save me, I believe he can save anyone. 
when the time is right in his own time, we will reap a harvest. May we endure, keep praying, keep fasting, keep evangelizing, even in the face of weariness. Let us not grow weary. Number two, we endure judgment. Chapter 26 now. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made a defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. The Herodians, this dynasty that Agrippa was in you know, the, the lineage of, they were Idumeans, so they had converted to Judaism some 100, 150 years prior. He, Paul says, therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So despite his weariness here, Paul takes a moment, he composes himself, he musters up the motivation to testify one more time, give it one more shot, and he launches in, and just like all of his other defenses we've read in the past month or two now, Paul has three goals here, to declaim his innocence, to reclaim his Jewishness, and to proclaim the gospel. Let's watch him do all three. Verse four, my manner of of life from youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem. It's known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, which our 12 tribes all hope to attain as they earnestly worship day and night. And for this hope, I'm being accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises from the dead? Paul says, listen, all I'm preaching here is what we've all been hoping and waiting and longing for for thousands of years in our, our history as a people, Judaism. Exodus 3.6, Daniel 12.2, Isaiah 26.19, Psalm 49.15, Ezekiel 37.10. This is all over the Old Testament. This hope, this hope of the resurrection that God really can and will one day raise us up to eternal life. That there is hope for us beyond the grave. Paul says, I know there is because Jesus is the proof. And he's already done it spiritually in my life. Back in chapter 9, he can do it for you too, King Agrippa. Verse 9, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, tried to make them blaspheme, in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Verse 12, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. But at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads were these sharp sticks that they would use to, to, to poke and prod the plowing animals. If they were being rebellious, Paul had been rebellious, resisting the Holy Spirit's poking at his heart, conviction in his heart of his sin, need of repentance. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
but rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, listen to this, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Friends, you would be hard-pressed to find a better, more glorious summary of the gospel and what Jesus does for us when he comes in and actually changes from the inside out and saves us in all of the Bible. He opens our eyes, spiritual eyes, that we might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who've been sanctified, purified, cleansed by Jesus' blood. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 19, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, then throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with the repentance. There it is again. By grace we've been saved through faith, four works. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. But, verse 22, to this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so... I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses already said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. It's the gospel once again. And there's so much there that we could unpack about the gospel, about Paul's testimony, his amazing testimony here, but since we've already discussed both of those in details, in detail, previous sermons, here is the simple point that I want to draw out for us about this passage and about the context of Paul's very testimony here. Again, this is the third time we've heard his testimony, but let's just consider who it is he's testifying before. That I alluded to this earlier. Paul is being judged. Who is Paul being judged by here? Paul is sitting trial for a crime he didn't commit that wasn't even a crime under Roman law, by the way. And he's standing before a guy who claimed to be a Jew but was sleeping with his sister. Clear violation of Leviticus 18. Punishable by death. And who, by the way, Agrippa II, would sell out his people to the Romans not a decade later in, in the year AD 66 when Rome invaded Jerusalem and the temple was actually overthrown. So Paul is being judged here by the guy who's actually going to be guilty of the crime he's being accused for and he's innocent of. Such is justice in this upside-down world of ours that a guy like Paul would have to answer to, be judged by a guy like Agrippa. Maybe some of you feel that way sometimes. Living as a Christian in this upside-down world of ours. Wait a minute. You believe that you're a woman trapped inside a man's body. And I am the one with the problem because I don't believe it's loving to perpetuate a lie. 
I don't want my kids being taught sex in the second grade. And somehow that makes me narrow-minded and repressive. I believe it's wrong to kill a child in the womb, and I'm the monster. Such is morality in this upside-down world of ours. We Christians have become the closed-minded, immoral ones. We are judged accordingly. Judged. Despised. Take heart this morning, brother, sister. Hear once again the words of your misjudged Savior who encouraged you, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake the world's version of righteousness, right and wrong. God's version of righteousness. He defines morality. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Be blessed. Number three, we endure rejection. Endure endure judgment. Endure weariness. We endure rejection. Verse 24, and as Paul was saying these things, In his defense, Festus interrupts, said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you mad. Verse 25, but Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king, Agrippa, he knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Paul says, King Agrippa, you're a Jew. You know the prophecies. You should know over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled, every one of them, some 25, 26 years ago. He says it was in my lifetime. Most of us were alive. Some of us knew him personally. He did it just down the road. This wasn't in a corner somewhere. He did it just down the road in Jerusalem. We can take and walk right now back to, I can point to you, the hill where he died. We could probably still visit the temple. They probably still haven't repaired the curtain. They got torn from the top down. So there's a lot of people standing here at my trial. We're probably at his trial. And they saw how it all went down, the earthquake, the night of the living dead, people, the graves open and people walking around, the, the foretaste of the resurrection. He says the evidence is everywhere. Ask, look, listen to their testimony. These people who saw Jesus dead on Friday and then saw him back alive on Sunday. Be convinced and believe. Verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul, there isn't enough time in the day, in a lifetime, to convince me that some guy actually came back from the dead. I don't care what evidence you think you have. I'm not buying it. But verse 29, Paul said, whether short or long, I would wish and hope and pray to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul says, look at these chains, King Agrippa. Because I I promise they are the only chains that are restraining me anymore. Because on the inside, my spiritual chains, they're gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. Jesus purchased my freedom. And guess what? He can pay for your sins as well if you will just repent and trust in Jesus.
for your salvation. But what does Agrippa do? In verses 30 and 31, it says, Then the king rose, and they withdrew. Instead of turning, walking away from his sin, Agrippa turns and walks away from the conviction of his sin. The sting of conviction. And you know that Paul's heart must have just sank. That as much as Paul wanted to be freed of his own physical chains, Paul wanted even more, infinitely more for Agrippa to be freed of his spiritual chains here. Paul, who would write elsewhere, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, my fellow Jews. But he says a hardening has come upon their hearts. And here in Acts 26, Agrippa hardens his own heart to the reality of his sin, to the rightful punishment that it owes him, and his requirement of a Savior. He needs Jesus. But he hardens his heart. Anyone here batting a thousand with your evangelism? Like every person you have ever shared the gospel with instantly repents and trusts, surrenders to Christ. If not, then you have no doubt endured rejection. Or at least what feels like it. Doesn't it feel personal? Like they're rejecting you? You share your faith, your excitement. Jesus, people get up and withdraw, walk away. And Jesus reminds us, comforts us in Luke 10, 16. He says, the one who rejects you is really rejecting me. He says, it's not personal. Their beef isn't with you. It's with me, with Jesus. I'm the one who truly has to endure unbelievers' rejection. But the, the really comforting part about that brothers and sisters, is that Jesus is the only one who can actually do anything about it, about that person's hardness of heart. We can witness till we are blue in the face about their need for Jesus, and we should, but only he can soften a hard heart, break a heart of stone, actually give them a heart of flesh to be able to receive the gospel. So we keep preaching We keep praying, but we keep trusting God to do the work that only he can do. Lastly, number four, we endure rejection, we endure weariness, we endure suffering. For the sake of time here, I won't read this whole last section, but Paul's going to endure four types of suffering here at the end of chapter 26 and the beginning of chapter 27. He endures deadlock in verses 30 and 32, through 32 at the end here of the chapter. Agrippa was really Paul's last real hope of acquittal. It's his best chance. Fellow Jew, he gets it, yet he hardens his heart. Agrippa doesn't budge deadlock like Felix and Festus and Pontius Pilate by the way Pontius Pilate washes his hands and Agrippa sends Paul on to Rome number two Paul endures difficulty along the way along the journey to Rome chapter 27 now 
I'm not going to, again, read the whole thing. If you're really into uh, like sailing, you, chapter 27 of Acts might be your favorite chapter in the Bible. Go read it on your own. I don't want to deprive you. But uh, Luke was apparently really into sailing. A lot of like nautical detail there. So we're going we're gonna to skip that. Um, all this detail about their journey to Rome, or rather their attempted journey, I should say, because they won't make it there until chapter 28 for next week. This trip that's supposed to take about a month from Judea to Rome ends up taking Paul four months. Because verse 4, the winds were against us. Verses 7 and 8, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, coasting with difficulty. Luke is emphasizing how tough it was, how turbulent the conditions were. So you got difficulty, you've got deadlock. Number three, Paul endured disregard, the disregard of his fellow travelers in verses 9 through 12. Paul tries to warn them, listen, we got to stay in winter here in Fairhavens. We're not going to make it to Phoenix. I know everybody wants to winter in a place like Phoenix. It's the island of Crete. But we're not going to make it. They don't listen to him, and they're going to pay dearly for it. Which is why, lastly, number four, Paul endures deadlock, difficulty, disregard, and ultimately despair. Despair. In verses 13 through 20, where the ship is caught in a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster, verse 14. And Luke describes again in detail just how desperate these sailors became. They're throwing stuff off, off the boat, trying to drop anchor and drop the lifeboat, it breaks up, all, all, all of it. Culminating in verse 20, where we read, when neither sun nor stars had appeared for many days and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Utter despair and hopelessness. Hopelessness. Now, if this were a movie that we were all watching together, this is the point at which I would press the pause button, and I tell my kids, all right, that seems like a pretty good stopping place, bedtime. And my son would yell, no! And Ellery would just roll her eyes because she's on to my jokes by now. Because this is exactly the point in the story where you cannot stop the movie. You're not going to be able to sleep, are you, until next Sunday when when Thad tells you how it ends. Are are they going to make it? You're just going to have to come back next week and find out. I'm sure some of you are thinking, why stop there? Here's why. Because some of you might feel like that's where you are right now. You might feel like you're in the midst of the storm in your life. Hopelessness, despair this morning, suffering. And I'm sure some of you are thinking, I've got, I've got to endure weariness, judgment, rejection, suffering, difficulty, despair. Could you remind me of the good news again? Maybe send us out with some encouragement for running this race, this marathon, treacherous marathon that we have been called to run. Let me do that. Let Let me send you out with some encouragement for this race. Remind you just of the scriptures we've already read, promises from God that if we don't grow weary, if we don't give up, God promises we will reap a harvest, that our prayers and our gospel proclamations are not in vain. He also promises that he'll be blessed. 
with the kingdom of heaven when you're judged and persecuted for his sake. That when you're rejected and reviled, we can rejoice at our reward in heaven. Because it is through many tribulations, suffering, that we must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14. But after we've suffered a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen, and establish you, 1 Peter 5. Because the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, Romans 8. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, 2 Corinthians 4. And so we do not lose heart. We don't despair. Though our outer self may be wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day as God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called by him. And so church, in the face of weariness, judgment, rejection, suffering, difficulty, even despair, may we not lose heart this morning. May we press on and endure for the sake of the gospel and making Christ known to the ends of the earth. Amen.